Hey y'all, welcome to another edition of Amsterdam Talk. I'll be your host, Rod, tonight, and we in season two, episode 12. And tonight I go all the way to the West Coast, to the Yay area, to the Bay Area, where they yell, Yay, Yay, Yay. <laughs> I go and get Miss Norrell Wheeler to come Hi, in tonight to Hi. talk about about you know from the national caregiving center that's it right family caregiver alliance close enough Rod. family caregiver <laughs> alliance yes 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 we are here tonight family caregiver alliance so before we start to get into the questions miss wheeler tell us a little bit about yourself yeah so um first i just want to say you know thank you for having me be here with everyone this evening okay. um so I have been working in the field of caregiving for, I hate to say it, but it's been about 22, 23 years. That kind of, you know, puts proximity on my age. Um, but I started off as what we consider now to be a young caregiver. Um, I, you know, it kind of started off and I have to say that I didn't even realize I was caregiving um, until probably until around the time I started working for Family Caregiver Alliance. So. You know, I, it kind of started off where my grandmother had foot surgery and my mom and I would go back and forth um, before school when I was about 12 or 13, you know, helping take care of her in the morning, making sure she had food and taking her medications. Mom would take me to school. She'd go to work. And then after school, we'd go back to my grandmother's house and, you know, we'd do it all over again. You know, move forward about 15, 20 years later, um, my father had what we call um, FTD dementia, or frontal temporal dementia. It's a very progressive form of dementia, but basically he became very forgetful, was, you know, leaving the stove on, health started to, to decline. And so I was in high school. And so um, while, you know, if you can imagine that world, or maybe some of you out there can already relate to it. Um, you know, you're in school, you're trying to navigate, you know, your education, but there's this person who's dependent on you. And so that was, um, that was my entry. Um, besides that, um, I work in the field of, you know, caregiving as a consultant for Family Caregiver Alliance. I'm currently a caregiver again, caring for my mother as she's gracefully aging. And um, yeah, I just, you know, try to live a harmonious life and balance being a full-time caregiver with being a full-time, you know, having a full-time job and career and just being a human being. So thank you for having me. Okay. 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 I get it. We all try to live a harmonious life. So, you know, we got to ask you, are you from the Bay area or you just moved? You know, I you am, I'm, you know, it's, there's not too many of us left, but I am a San Francisco native, uh, born in, born in San Francisco, raised there until I was about, I would say about nine, 10 or 11. And then we moved, um, to the peninsula part of South San Francisco and that that region of the Bay Area, um, but very historical um, family. Um, my, my grandmother actually started um, the one of the community centers in in this area called Bernal Heights. If there's anyone out there from the San Francisco Bay Area, you, you might be familiar with um, Bernal Heights. But she um, she she started the neighborhood center, and it was because my grandmother had ten children. And, you know, grandmother being who she was, um, a lot of kids who came from, you know, outside the immediate vicinity who were growing up, you know, in like the projects, but were going to school and after school programs in Bernal Heights, um, they would come by my grandmother's house and she would feed them and give them clothes and, you know, like the clothes, extra clothes from my aunt and my uncles. So she started the um, community center there and also used to be what we now call a lobbyist. And she would travel to D.C. and, you know, put a real, you know, political stamp on the needs um, for more food and education programs and work programs for the parents in San Francisco. So, okay. yeah. So you come from royalty, basically. I do. Uh, yeah, there was a there was a mural actually in on the side of the library in Bernal Heights, and it had my grandmother was in it with Cesar Chavez, and I can't remember some of the other greats. And unfortunately, they painted over the mural um, but we, you know, we did get a picture of it. So a lot of, you know, it's, I guess, you know, it's natural that I'm in the role that I'm in and that I've done the, the work in social work and public health, um, all these years too, just because it's, you know, it's part of, part of my family lineage. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I get it. So you, you were grandfathered then for it basically. Almost. So, yeah. you know, for those out there, you know, 
we want to know when should you start estate planning? Like when should you start planning these situations? Yeah. So when we talk about estate planning, um, you know, it's really about like long-term care planning. So I'll, I'll use it in that aspect. And what I think I'll do is I'll also just kind of, when we talk about long-term care planning, it's really about these important documents that a person should have um, to kind of prepare you for the future. So um, if you don't mind, what I'll do is I'll, I'll talk to you guys about what those special documents are. There's about six or seven, and then I'll explain to you what happens, you know, if you don't have these important documents. So there was a study a few years ago and it pretty much said that about 80, 80, 80% of, of, you know, us in the United States, we, we consider, you know, long-term care planning, like having, you know, those documents, like your will, okay. your living trust, et cetera. But only about 30, 30% of us actually go ahead and actually complete those documents. So it's not, it's not too many of us, you know, and as we all know, we're, we're facing, you know, the aging process and you really have to make difficult decisions when it comes to like planning, planning your future. So um, one of the documents is what's called like an advanced healthcare directive. And that's the form that gives power to a person that you designate to make those, you know, difficult healthcare decisions for you only if you can't speak for yourself. Um, you may have heard the term living will or durable power of attorney for, for health care, right? Well, break that, break that down. Break that down because I don't mean to interrupt you, but break that no, down because we absolutely. all don't know. I know what a living will is, but we all don't know what a living will is. Absolutely. absolutely. Hold in there. You know, just hold on tight with me and I'll get to it. So got you. Got you. the advanced health care directive, it's, you know, each state has one, but they're worded a little bit differently. But if you say you live out of state, you can still use, you know, the advanced health care directive interchangeably between states, hospitals, as well as like, you know, doctors, they have the form to help you complete it. And, you know, basically everyone over 18 should have one. So kind of want to go back, you know, Rod, to your original question is like, when should you start planning? In a realistic world, I would say as soon as you turn 18 in a day. I mean, but that's okay. just not not realistic for all of us, right? Okay. Um, the Advanced Healthcare Directive, what it does is it 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 often it's used to help decide, you know, on like feeding tubes or ventilators and like other treatments when you're at the end of life or or when someone is, you know, unconscious. And um, you don't need to have it notarized. Some of these forms I talk about, you do, um, but this is one that you don't. So what happens if you don't have one? Well, doctors basically do everything that they can in their capacity to treat your condition and keep you alive. Sometimes if you've ever, um, you know, unfortunately been at a hospital and you may hear a doctor say something like, you know, my staff, you know, went above and beyond, they, they'll use this term like a heroic, um, by heroic means to basically sustain life. Basically, those are the cases where, you know, a person doesn't have a, a living will or an advanced healthcare directive, um, and so they they do their you know their best efforts to to keep keep the keep the loved one alive. Um, the second form that that you should you know kind of have if you think about it, it's it's what's called a pulse, and that's P O L S T. That is the acronym for it's called a physician's orders for life sustaining treatment, and this is. It replaces a form called a DNR, do not resuscitate. So a lot of us have probably heard of DNRs or maybe not. But usually um, if you, you know, if you or your loved one have, it's like usually um, a yellow or a pink form that they say, you know, put on the refrigerator. And if 911 is called, they'll usually ask you for it to see if, if a person is non-responsive, if EMT should, you know, do like CPR um, type of thing. But basically the pulse, what it does is it allows individuals with like life-threatening illnesses to decide with their doctors uh, what treatments they would or wouldn't want, you know, and since it's a physician's order, no one else can contest it basically, okay. um, you know. And so, like I said, it's helpful if 911 responders come and, you know, you want to, they, they want to know whether or not CPR should be, be, be performed. Right. Um, if you don't have it, then 911 will is required to do everything they can until they transport you to the hospital. So um, you were mentioning like the you know what's a will. So mm -hmm. a will basically 
that says how your estate or money and belongings are to be dispersed, you know, to family, friends, or even organizations after you, you know, after you pass away. Um, it's also called a last will and testament. And each state, again, has a different laws about estates, but most states honor out-of-state wills. Um, it can be um, handwritten or it can be completed through forms that you can sometimes even find online. However, I will say that if you have assets worth over, let's say, 100000 or even like a little bit less, then you would want to consult with an elder law attorney to help you decide, you know, how your assets and belongings should be, um, you know, dispersed. This is um, a document where you have to be in your right mind. So if you have Alzheimer's or dementia, you won't be able to complete, complete it, basically. And there's also this component of a will. So a power of attorney couldn't complete that? A power of attorney would not be able to complete it. You would have to have it completed by um, by an, an elder law attorney, a professional. Okay. okay. Right. And the other part of a will is that there's this whole topic of probate. And, and you know, I will I will interject and say that my area of expertise, unfortunately, isn't isn't elder law. Um, you know, I've got a background in public health, so I'm sorry if I can't you know, if there's questions that come up that, you know, I can't, I can't answer for you right away. I, I apologize to you all in advance. But the point here is that um, there's a component of a will called probate. And basically, this is the transferring of property when when someone passes away, right? So the probate court basically oversees, um, you know, an executor who's issued through the will to assure that the estate is the divided as, as stated in a will. And if there isn't a will, then without a will, the court will, quote unquote, they'll probate the estate. And that just basically means they'll decide how your estate should be um, dis, dis, you know, distributed and to whom. So with that, um, Still there with Miss Willa? Where'd she go? Oh man, we having technical difficulties out there tonight. Um, she'll be right back with us in a second. I wish I had, yeah, her camera froze. Um, I wish I had something to put on right now, <laughs> but I don't because this is a serious topic that we're talking about caregiving for elderly, sick, or disabled people at this time. So, you know, I know a lot of us have, you know, elderly, you know, sick people in our families or even disabled children or adults that we need to care about. So this is a very interesting topic. So I'm hoping Ms. Noreen Willa can come back, you know, and finish our information that we was given to us right now. So, um, it's difficult for me to hold this part down because uh, this is a very sensitive topic that's in the black community as well, you know, as far as, um, you know, just caring for someone, you know, normally we may just put a person in a nursing home and go from there. I mean, but then we have some that just decide to just, you know, say, hey, let them come home and transfer from, I mean, transition to you know the afterlife and the house but we want to make sure we are able to give you know our mothers fathers our children grandparents or whomever you know a situation that we can be able to prosper with them so um i can't even tell brother for real take me to commercial break because i don't even have a commercial ready for y'all we just gotta you know just go from here um before we get back to the topic, I, I just got to ask you, how's your day going? Is, is everybody good? Is everybody, you know, how's everybody doing in COVID-19 and the pandemic? Um, you know, how's everyone? You know, this homecoming season for everyone. How's everybody going? How's everybody doing? Hey, Black Marvel, yes, you're doing fine. We're doing fine. Uh, hey, I... I don't, 
Hey, she's back now. Hey. I'm back. So sorry, everyone. <laughs> I have no idea what just happened, but we are, we have been experiencing some weather problems over here. It's all and right. We're back. I needed you back. I need you back, baby girl. Because, <laughs> you know, you know I don't know what to <laughs> <laughs> So I apologize. Hey. I'll, I'll pick up where I left off. Um, Thank you. So if you don't have a durable power of attorney, then basically what happens is the, um, the the court will come in and a judge will have to to basically appoint someone to do so and in this case um it may mean that you'll have to be conserved or you know for example someone will have to be appointed by the court and to oversee your care and your finances and there are fees associated with this um so i want to segue too because there's about three more types of forms i'm going to talk about but one set of forms is it has to do with like final arrangements right so you know we all we all have an expiration date that's just the way life works um but final arrangement forms have to do with you know deciding whether one should be you know if you want to be you know have a cremation or a bur mm -hmm. burial and a part of that is also letting the family know and you know also to let let loved ones know about your wishes regarding let's say for example organ donation or any special arrangements these are things that should be put in writing and you should also delegate to someone that you you trust very well to know where these documents are, um, you know. And then, you know, the thing too is like, you know, make sure you have a discussion with your family members about, you know, about what these wishes are. Because the more you can do to prepare your family as well, the better it will be for them, um, so that you know there isn't a lot of confusion or a lot of family conflict. Um, I will segue and tell you guys a, a small story. So I had a friend about two, actually in October in Virginia, and she's an only child. Mom passed away suddenly. And of course, everyone's asking her, you know, like, how are you doing? You know, what do you need help with? And she told, she told them and she told me, she says, you know, Narelle, she says, she says, the best thing my mom could have could have done for me is she took care of everything. So her okay. mom basically had put in a binder everything from you know where the the plot was for her, her burial plot to all the way down to the gloves that she wanted to be buried in and she mm -hmm. said that was the best thing that she could do because it took the it actually she said like it took away a lot of some of the like the anguish and the grief associated with having to figure out all the little intimate details of you know making arrangements. Well, how much would you say? I mean, I know that's your friend, but what 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 percentage would you say in the black community that actually has that ready? I'm gonna say, you know, just a, just an estimate, just an estimate. estimate. I would say like around like like five. 4% of us. I mean, to be honest, I mean, I, you know, I stress it a lot. I mean, I, my mom's in her seventies and I just, we just did like her living will and trust and actually talked about like what those final arrangements are. Have we put them in writing? No, but I am the, the durable power of attorney for her, you know, for her finances and her healthcare. Um, I can't stress how important it is for us as a community. We, we, it's a taboo topic, you know, Rod, you know, you know, it's, we don't like to talk about, you know, death and dying and, and what that looks like, but, um, you know, preparation is, is, is very important and it's, you know, it's just, it's, it's significant. Well, so, hold on. It's a question that just popped up. Um, the funny thing is, Ms. Norrell, I am um, a supervisor for the Affordable Health Care Act and um, somebody just put up about carrying over for 120 days about the money. Yes, it goes down into a spend down. Basically, you have to spend the money down that your parent it had, that your parent that you just said your parent has, and spend it down to make it Medicaid state eligible. So you have right. to find bills that happen, you know, in this time period, in a six month grace period, that has to happen. Well, maybe of a year as well but you have to spin it down to make it meet that percentage because the average person on SSI is 794 a month. Mm -hmm. And that is times by based on whatever, you know, based on the months and it pops up to about 84 or something like that. I can't, my math, I'm not good at math at all, but something like that. You have to spin that money down to go ahead and, you know, deal with that for a facility. I mean, get, to get them in that situation, but 
Norell is back on you. I just wanted to answer that question. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Please interject anytime, Rod. Um, so if you don't have, you know, your wishes arranged, what happens is that families often end in conflict, right? About what you would have wanted, right? And so right. you want to avoid that. Okay. And then the other thing is that the law can actually determine who has the power to make decisions if it's unclear of, you know, or if there's a conflict and let's say there's, you know, there's a lot at, at risk as far as like assets and estates. Um, I'll mention the trust. So these, these are, you know, this is another document that we talk about um, having. So a trust, this creates a legal entity that basically holds your assets for you so that your state does not have to go through probate when you when you die, basically. Um, it's, you know, the living trust is another name for it. And it's where you name a trustee to oversee the trust both while you are alive and then to distribute the trust to beneficiaries or those assets when you're no longer, you know, longer here. Um, you may be the trustee of this, the trust while you're alive, in which case you then name a, um, a successor trustee basically uh, for the trust who, who makes all the arrangements, right? right? So there's a different types of trust. I'll briefly go over them. Um, namely, the one that is most well, common. Before that you get there, though, Norrell, let me ask you a question, because what if you don't name a trust? Because I've seen I'll situations where you... Oh, right. Yeah, no I, I'll tell you right <laughs> now. Yeah, I'm going to so, let you go ahead and do what you do, sweetie. <laughs> that's we're good. But so if you don't have a trust, depending on like the value of your assets, your state will go through probate. And this can take several months and incur a lot of costs to the court. So basically what that means um, is that, you know, you pay a lot of money back to the court and your family ends up losing a lot of the benefits of what you worked hard for um, if you do not have a trust. Um, so some people, I will say, they do prefer a trust over a living will because of the fact it bypasses going through probate and the court system. Like I said, I'll stop there because that's, you know, I, I'm, I'm not an expert on, on, you know, like family law and probate court. It's a whole nother system. But in a nutshell, um, it's, it's important. Um, we have a living, we have a, my mom and I, we have a living, um, a living trust. That's what we have. And because she's got, you know, estate and properties and she wants to make sure that I don't incur those debts, um, you know, when she expires. Okay. So I see there's so, a question. Well, I, I'm going to give you a, a personal example of mine because the fact is, you know, when you're talking about living wills and living trust, and if you don't have a living will and living trust, down it depends on the two people that pass away because you know it goes to the oldest child but mm -hmm. the person that passed away if that's not his biological child it goes down to his biological child so you know so say that the oldest child is not by him mm -hmm. but he considers that his child and mm -hmm. maybe that third or fourth child is really his it skips that first and second child because they're not his. It goes down to that biological child. Right. Unless they're, he's legally adopted the, the offspring. I mean, but the, and that may just be California law, but we, we have a law here where if, if the, if the child is like um, adopted through, you know, it's, it's, you know, they're the couples married and they both have children from, you know, other spouses or, you know, but they adopt that that person, then they're then, you know, they're entitled so to, to the benefit. One of the questions was, what about the flip side? If this was where the caregiver dies, if the caregiver dies, and we're talking, well, is the caregiver the, and the caregiver has is the one who's the trustee, and if there's no there's no one there, then the state has once again the state has to go through probate. Because okay. there's no one there to, you know, if the trustee is gone, then it goes through probate unless there. So there's there's so it depends on how it's it's what type of trust you have. OK, so we have the there's what's called a revocable trust that okay. allows you to control everything that happens in the trust while you are alive. Right. 
The irrevocable trust, it cannot be changed without the beneficiary's consent. So in my case, my mom and I, we have, um, we have a, a irrevocable trust, meaning if she wants to change anything in it, she has to consent me because I'm, I'm the beneficiary, right? Right. There's so many different trusts. So for example, there's what's called a special needs trust. And that's a trust that can be delegated to someone who has a disability. There's, you know, like charitable trust, right? Where you can delegate your assets. Like maybe you don't have a family or you just you don't like your family members and you're like, you know, I'm not leaving them anything, but you can delegate a trust to a charity. Um, there's what's called a bypass trust and it's irrevocable. And it's where it passes on to the spouse and then the children at death of the spouse, you know, or the parent, the second person. So once the second spouse is no longer here, then the children, you know, they benefit. Or you have, it's called a generation skipping trust. And that allows grandchildren to directly inherit without paying taxes too. So, you know, it's, it's, there's just so many um, different, different types of trust there. Um, the last one I'll talk about, you know, with this question, everyone and Rod, is what we call like beneficiary forms. So, you know, those forms where or like there's um, like insurance, bank accounts, investments, retirement plans, where you have a beneficiary and it's quote unquote payable upon um, payable on, on death. So, you know, this, you know, basically these are forms that that basically say the money is comes immediately. And the money or, you know, it doesn't have to go through probate and the benefit beneficiary benefits right away. So if you don't have payable on death beneficiaries, then or unless the funds are in a trust, then it's the same thing where um, it'll take several months or up to a year and everything has to go through probate. It goes through court. So, you know, in a nutshell, it's important to have these documents, um, you know, speaking on behalf of you know our the african-american community and, and and other communities too we tend not to be at the forefront i'll say of being prepared um preparation will save a lot of grief it will save a lot of family conflicts and disputes because i see that way too much too the experience right. in my own family so i hope i answered that question and sorry yeah. i took so long everyone but no, 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 no. we can skip we can skip what i was getting ready to ask if somebody doesn't want to share you just went through that for me so you went through that one <laughs> and, you know you went through that one so you know so basically like how do you know or when to get a poa power of attorney should you or or not are there other options um how do you know when to get a poa um you know it really depends on on the on the person like it depends on you like what you know understanding like what your financial and your health history is um and also knowing like kind of goes back to what i said at the beginning like these are these are decisions that are hard like life-changing decisions that we make and we all know that we have we had a beginning we all know that we have an end so it really just depends on what the assets are, um, whether or not, you know, you have, you know, a, a many different types of assets and belongings and how you really want those dispersed. Um, right. I think everyone should have a durable power of attorney for, you know, or, or a power of, you don't have to have both either. I should say that some people just have a power of, power of attorney for their healthcare decisions. Some mm -hmm. just have them have delegated someone for their finances or durable, which is for both. So it just really depends on like, like what your situation is and it's tailored and tailored individually. And I'll say, um, consult with an attorney, you know, if these are the questions that you're having, consult with them early on, you know, it's better to be prepared and get your questions answered. Okay. I got you. So why is it so difficult to find out what options you have when seeking services for a loved one? Well, um, you know, I don't, I'm going to say, I don't think it's like difficult necessarily to find out the options for services. I, you know, I'm going to, you know, explain that what I think what it is, is that 
caregiving is seen as an inherited like expectation in most cultures, right? That's carried out over a lifetime. So, you know, we right. start off gradually with like the little things. Like in, in my case, you know, for my grandmother, it, it was as small as like, you know, I have to say, you know, you start off with, you know, honey, can you read? Can you read? What's the, who's this male piece of mail from? I can't see that, you know, right. clearly too. Can you take me to the grocery store? I don't, I, can, I don't feel safe driving anymore to it, you know, can you take me to doctor's appointments? Then you find yourself advocating and asking questions about why well, I noticed, you know, she's taking these medications, but she's, you know, something's not right. And you just, you keep going. And before you know it, you're in this, you know, lifetime trajectory of caregiving without even knowing that you're caregiving, right? So I think sometimes um, the condition isn't diagnosed until it's too late. So we see right. that happening too. So you end up like not wanting, not not seeking services or try, or even like exploring what your options are for yourself or for the loved one until, you know, the person's later in, 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 in it, you know, stage or in the final phase of a diagnosis or a disease. And this can also make it hard to get services that could have been, you know, in place all along, right? Um, I think there's not only the issue around services for the care recipient, so the person with a diagnosis, but also the services for the caregiver, you know, and either the acknowledgement that you are a caregiver starts too late. So you don't even know, you know, what to ask for or, or who to even ask. Um, you know, you simply don't, don't know where to go and where to ask for help. So, you know, those are some barriers. Um, let's say too, like, even barriers in services for people, you know, regarding like resources, you know, we can then, you know, talk about like, sometimes it's even like our socioeconomic factors, how those play in part to, you know, understanding what resources are there and what are not there. So sometimes it's just barriers to resources that, that affect us and our education and knowledge around the resources we have or education and knowledge around like the diagnosis, right? So if I don't understand that, you know, what I'm seeing isn't just, you know, like in some families will say, oh, you know, remember how uncle so-and-so used to ask, oh yeah, he's just crazy or she, auntie so-and-so, no, she was just a little crazy. Not necessarily they're crazy. They may have had dementia and signs of Alzheimer's all along, but how do you know? You know, you don't, you know, sometimes we just don't know. So, um, and when you're new in the role of caregiving, that's another thing. Um, you just don't know, you don't know where to go and what to do. I personally can say that I didn't know I was a caregiver in my young age. Um, when I was taking care of my father, I wasn't given, it's now a title, right? That we place right. on those of us caring. And it wasn't, it was, there was no title for it. Um, Family Caregiver Alliance, was birthed the same year I was born. And I'm from San Francisco. And I tell you guys that I didn't know anything about Family Caregiver Alliance. There was no one coming to my door, supporting me, helping me take care of my dad. I had nurses coming in the home, in-home support services here and there, but no one told me about as a caregiver what was available to me. So, you know, these gaps remain. It's still a political factor to, you know, politics and finances and money play into it too. So. I, I definitely got you. So, you know, so um, where do you recommend people to start when they find out they need services? Like if they have a family member that dies mm -hmm. and they were the primary caregiver for a disabled um, or sick relative? Um, I'm going to say like, you really want to, you know, check with what's available in in your state and like i stated earlier some services or maybe i didn't say it but some services are only are only available based on the specific condition one has um for like income benefits um there's a couple of websites um i can you know write these down in the chat at the end but one is and I'm, there's a reason why i'm telling explaining these to you guys um at first so one's called benefits.gov um, it's a list of like social services that are offered by um offered by the government and then there's another one called benefitscheckup.org um there's also the national council on aging so the reason why i'm telling you about these specific you know agencies is because they 
can be a good place to start to kind of narrow down like what services you need. So the the first one that I told you guys about benefits.gov, I actually I've, I've, I went on this website, so I'm, I'm not going to send you somewhere I haven't gone myself and or referred other people to, but it does take about like 30 minutes, 40 minutes. But what it does is it's, it starts you off, you know, asking you those general demographic questions. And then it segues and gets a little bit more um, like detailed to wean out what, you know, areas may be impacting um, your loved ones, the person you're care for and care, caring for their life. So around food, you know, social services, um, you know, maybe Medicaid, Medicare, et cetera. And then what it then does at the end, it'll ask you, do you, you know, to if you would like to save it or print it out. My suggestion would be um, to take a look at the two different government websites, print out those forms, because um, they do take time, and then take that information um, and that they provide, and you can call it um, what's called, each county has um, an area agency on aging, or triple A. Yeah, agency, agency and disability. Right. You take that information, contact them and say, look, you know, we we've done like we did, you know, we did our work and this is where we are seeing that we need support and help in taking that to them. Then your county should have specific resources available that they can then refer you to to get you some help there. Um, I'm trying to think another place to look at is honestly is AARP. Now, my mom in my 40s and she had said like hey i got you an aarp card i was like i don't need aarp like that's for you know like the 60 plus it's not it's for you us still you still in your 40s oh, yeah. 40 i just turned 44 you guys october 20th happy birthday thank you but yeah aarp it's another significant resource that we don't you know we may think that it's just for one population but but it's not so um you know yeah. Um, and other place you can look at are your NGOs. So depending on your diagnosis um, of, of the loved one, there are agencies that, you know, specifically work with, you know, your the disease that the loved one's diagnosed with, like, you know, traditional like Alzheimer's Association, the Diabetes Association, um, et cetera. Contact them and they too have resources and can help you get started. Um, but I, I, but if you take anything away from this question, really it's make sure you have a template, make sure you know what those services are that you need. These two, the government agencies are a good place to start um, just so you get an idea. And then, you know, things evolve from there. You start asking more questions, you get more resources um, and hopefully you get those, those questions answered. Okay, got you on that one as well. Um... So, you know, what's the best way to go and accelerate the process of obtaining services? Yeah, I think, you know, to answer this question, it's it's about voicing your opinion and advocating. So speaking with or having a meeting with the primary care physician or a nurse practitioner um, overseeing your loved one's care and ask for referrals. You know, you can also ask to speak with a social worker, say if they're, they've are they been admitted to a hospital, you know, there's social workers slash, you know, case managers, ask to speak with one of them, um, self-advocate, and don't be afraid to use your voice. Another option that in some scenarios is helpful is to hire a, what's called a geriatric case manager. Um, and this is like, if you're caregiving for someone who is, you know, um, over, I think like over 60 plus age group or has, you know, a, a, you know, you know, a disability. But, does, but that doesn't work for like, you know, I mean, I don't mean to put you on spot, but that doesn't, does that work for like a disabled child or someone that's under the geriatric, you know? No, this is law? specifically, yeah. So specifically speaking to like the geriatric community, um, you know, just because, you know, coming from where my my background is right now with with the population that I work with, um, for someone who is caring for a, a child or a young person, let's say with a disability, then um, I would say you know one place and people I hate to say this, but people think that like child protective services is only available for emergency situations or let's say like neglect and abuse or on the other. 
on the other end, let's say an adult for adult protective services. Mm -hmm. I've referred I've referred caregivers to adult protective services, and, and you know, dealing with children, you can refer them to child protective services because it's they they're a wealth of information. So they will know what other services are available. You can then talk to them, and, and if you have like you know a service, you know. If there's an immediate need um, regarding a certain type of service you're looking for, mm -hmm. they will have, you know, up to date information on that. And so, you know, you know, that's, you know, regarding to children, um, that's, you know, that's a place that you can. Hold on, we're going to come at the end and answer that. That that That's too goddamn long to read. <laughs> that at the end. That's too long, Stace. We're going to read that at the end. But go ahead and finish your, um, your, your you know, your answer yeah just in a nutshell um you know there you know if th the best way to like get services accelerated would be to talk to either a social worker um or the primary care physician um i think that those are the significant you know and reliable places to start especially if the the professional like the doctor or a nurse practitioner knows the the history of you know the, the person that you're you, you want to get services and care for um the other thing is turn to your community there you know there are agencies out there in the community community through like food and nutrition programs that you know you can you know turn to to find out additional resources um but you know i mean to you know as you know that's as far as like accelerating the process quote unquote um you know that's kind of you know it's kind of a little difficult but the best that's yeah that's the best recommendation i can offer at this time uh, gotcha. i got I, I, I def i'm definitely with you miss wheeler is there a way to get services beyond what you are officially approved of um i.e social services um all the other you know places you would um mention Mm -hmm. outside of paying for them out of your own pocket right um so th this again it does matter about like you know what's available county you know and city specific and community specific but to where one lives but there are agencies or like nonprofits um that can help by offering what we term as like short term or single use grants to help supplement the cost of for example uh, medical supplies that may not necessarily be covered by Medicare or Medi-Cal, what we call Medi-Cal or Medicaid, Medi-Cal, what we call here in California, Medi-Cal. Mm -hmm. um, they may also help pay for counseling sessions. Um, and some may even help caregivers get a break from caregiving by offering a grant for what we call respite. Some of you are probably saying like, well, what is respite? Maybe I've heard of it. I don't understand it. So respite, it's significant for caregivers in that it's to help prevent us from burnout. It's also, um, it's like low hanging fruit is the only way I can describe it, and it like a, a reset button. So we have, we offer a respite grant um, to clients, to our clients, mm -hmm. and basically we use it to help them understand that one, you know, they need a break, two, to help them take care of themselves. So I'll have a caregiver say, you know, Narelle, uh, I haven't been to see the dentist in two years, um, or I just like, I'm burnt out, like I'm tired, or they don't even say it, but the assessment reveals it. And so respite is a way to supplement you as the caregiver by putting someone in your place. That's the only simplest, easiest way I can explain it to you guys. Um, but it's basically, it's like, it's a gift to a caregiver. And, um, you know, that's, you know, it's, it's to help you basically take care of yourself and positive influence your own well-being. Okay. You can also turn to your family and community for help. And I know you're probably saying, well, I don't, you know, like sometimes family, they don't, you know, not, not too many people want to get involved in help. But this is, this is for free. People want to help. Family members and friends, community, people naturally, you know, they want to help. But it's, I think what it comes down to as caregivers is how we ask for that help and how we posit our need for help. So what I like to say here is that, you know, I, let's, for example, I don't care to do the dishes. I, I, I don't want to do the dishes. However, I don't mind setting out the trash. So 
a lot of times, and I've, I've experienced this with my own family, I was, you know, taking care of, like I said, my mother, my niece and my nephews. I had a bad habit of saying like, you know, I need this done. I need help with this. Um, I need someone to go do this, 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 and that. And I wasn't understanding that just because I need all this help, not everyone wants to, people want to help, but they really want to help on their own, own terms. So for those of you out there who are needing, you know, support, and like I said, this support is, this is, it's free, um, you know, make a list of like all the things that need to be done so that you can take care of your loved one, be it a child or an adult. Um, and then reach out to family and friends and let them choose what they want to do to help you out. Because like I said, maybe I don't want to wash the dishes, but I don't mind stopping and dropping in on my way to work to like set the trash out or put the trash bins in. I don't mind going to get groceries, but I'm not going to be doing laundry. You know, if, you know, you know, does that, I hope that makes sense to everyone out there. Um, but yeah, this is, this is one way to, you know, outside of paying for help, rely on, rely on community and loved ones. Okay. But I want to get to Stacy's question. Mm-hmm. What about resources after death when it's not clear what a deceased family member's assets are in totality? My mother-in-law passed away last month and did not leave all her financial information beneficiary beneficiary inheritance complied. I'm on a scavenger hunt to track down all her assets. I'm getting random bank statements that that put puzzle pieces together. Okay, so tell me what the question is again, Rod, because that was a lot. All right. Well, she basically said, what about resources after death when it's not clear what a deceased family member's assets are in totality? Okay. So, like, where do you go to right. get support to help find those those resources or those assets, right? right? right. And everything's so fragmented. Um, I mean, real, realistically, it's... It's a, I'm going to say, first of all, it's a lot of work. There is no cookie cutter approach to it. It's not easy. But, you know, as far as there being like a resource that's there, you can consult again with an attorney, with an, you can consult with an attorney, an elder law attorney. As far as resources, it's one would have to be like calling Social Security office. It's really going to be, you know, that's it's a hard question to answer just because, you know, it just depends on like what what's what those gaps are and what's missing. You just have to start over. You have to well, like. She stated that she's getting random bank statements that's putting puzzles together right now. It's like scavenger hunt. I you know. I can't no, I mean, I'm, I'm just saying this is what she just asked. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I mean, it's just it is a scavenger hunt. So it's it's really you know. Unfortunately, there's there's no there's no way to answer that like a concrete way. It's it's being in the trenches. It's the long hours of like making the phone calls and you know working with the agencies to try to to try to put the pieces together. Um, that's just you know that's that's part of the gaps in caregiving, and that's why it's you know like like we discussed earlier, it is so important to you know have all those documents to the best of your ability put together. I mean, I've seen this. Um, I had a caregiver recently tell me that um, it was, it had more to do with like identity fraud where the care, the care recipient was, you know, to be honest, like thirty, forty thousand $40,000 had put herself in debt because she was taking calls, you know, the robocalls. She had been giving, you know, giving away money and the caregiver well, that just popped up right there. The people with dementia will hide stuff from you. Oh, absolutely. Right. And so it's it's a they'll hide things from you. And and then if you ask them questions about certain things that can even like push them away to the point where they won't even let you in their in your in the front door. They can see you as like the quote unquote the enemy. So. The only way that I can think of like mitigating that one is to get get power of attorney if you can beforehand. Um, be prepared to be told that well, if they already have dementia and they can't make a decision and decide, you know, who should be over their, their estate, 
that then most likely you won't be able to be the power of attorney, in which case you will then have to go through the court system to get a conservatorship or become the executor of their estate. That again is like a lengthy process, but there are elder law attorneys that can help you um, go through the family court system to, to take care of that. Once you have, let's say the durable power of attorney or you become executor of the estate, then you have the authority to then call, you know, say like the banks to call the credit card companies to call those, you know, the, the notices that you're getting and you, you'll get like a document where then you can like, you know, send to them and, and show proof that you're the executor to help mitigate um, some of the, the financial or, you know, other problems and burdens that come along with, you know, someone um, not sharing all their personal information with you willingly, let's say, and two, having having dementia or some other type of memory and cognitive impairment where they're not sharing um, upfront with you the information. Um, it's a jungle and I, I went through it personally. So, um, you know, I know I know what it's like, yeah. I got you. I got you. I mean, you know, we're gonna go ahead with it. So when 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 changing providers, is there a minimum notice that you're required to give your current provider that you want to change? So I'm gonna say like if if it's related to abuse or neglect, then no need to give a timely notice, right? So um if if it's a hired caregiver, for example that you're paying for out of pocket, the best solution is to have a contract with them and, a stip and stipulate what your reasons would be for termination, right? So he hears preparation and perhaps that is, uh, that it's indicated that it's a quote unquote at will position. Mm -hmm. um, you know, can't really give legal advice on that because I'm not a labor law attorney, but um, I would say that, you know, if you want to change your providers, you're within every right to change providers for yourself or for your loved one. If you feel that they're not getting the services rendered to them that they need, or you just don't, you know, if there's like, just, you know, you just feel like their needs aren't getting met, change. So right? does this fall under the same category if you feel a provider is mistreating your loved one or violating laws or anything in the process, you know, who can you report those to? And how do you file a complaint against a provider? Right. So if you suspect something's wrong, then it probably is, right? It doesn't, it's okay to report a concern and be wrong about it. It's better to be wrong than to not report it and something then happens. Um, you know, what if you're not wrong? So you can do a couple of things. You can, again, call or contact either if it's a minor child protective services, if it's an adult, adult protective services, that's where you would want to start. You can also bring this up to individuals and, and, and organizations who are what we call mandated reporters. So that could be a teacher, that could be um, your, your primary care, a primary care doctor, a nurse, nurse practitioner, um, you know, anyone, any other professional who is mandated to report incidents or suspicions of neglect or abuse and each city has a different method of reporting so you know just be aware of that um you know I, I think i mentioned this earlier i call them sometimes just to consult or see if something is reportable and um, more than times not they'll tell me to go ahead and, and, and do a report god i understand that totally so miss thank you miss willa you came yeah. on i did and Ooh, you know, <laughs> I see you sweating over there. But you didn't reach the part of the program where you're going to sweat a little more. Uh oh, here we go. I'm ready. Yeah. I'm trying to get it. <laughs> Brother, for real, and put it up. I'd be damned it's get ready to happen if I can get it to load up like it's supposed to. Come on, file, load up. Okay, you know? so explain me, I'd be damned. So I, I'm giving a how does this work, you guys? Because I'll be damned is basically we get some I, I've have a whole list of people in my phone that sent horrible dating stories. Okay. And I pick one each week to tell on the show. I recap what they tell me and you just break it down what you saw where the problem started at. Okay. You know, okay. so I'm trying to get it to shoot up, but it will not come on like it's supposed to. 
I'm looking at it, but it won't load up. So it's like, hold on, what are you doing? Like, I'd be damned, why are you acting up? This normally happens once a week <laughs> when I'd be damned doesn't want to come up and I'm going to force it to come up as normal. So, but you definitely gave us insight on how to care for a loved one, which I, I is definitely needed. Oh so. man. You, you, Thank you for definitely coming on and giving us Any, that. Anytime, you guys. Any, absolutely, anytime. Any, anybody got any questions out there? <laughs> because I'm getting ready to load up I Be Damn, and you know how I Be Damn goes. I Be Damn is. And I is Be Damn, the reading is so tiny. I'm sorry. I can't. <laughs> I wear reading glasses, uh, you guys. Yeah. I can't. Yeah, I Be Damn. This is crazy today. Ah. What's my favorite song to to see walk to? <laughs> you know what? I'm I have to say I'm a fan of Little Wayne. I don't know why, but that's that's I love him. I love his music. So anything by Little Wayne is, you know. Let me see if thing. this works. Can you see that? I don't see anything. Welcome. You don't see anything? All right. So that must mean yeah, it didn't it come through yet then. So yeah, let me yeah. save it again. Let me save it again and make it come through. So you you see walking to Little Wayne. I understand that out there. I'm and if I wasn't doing, Wayne. and if I wasn't doing this tonight, it will <laughs> pop up like easily. Like when I'm just sitting here playing around with it, it pops up. But tonight is is acting really silly tonight. Like, come on. That's all right. I lost reception for what, like five or ten minutes. Oh no, 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 no. That was cool. I talked about nothing. <laughs> but just try to keep them into it, you know, as much as I can. But <laughs> come on. I thought she was gonna say E40 or corrupt. I thought she was gonna say E40 or oh. <laughs> That's right, E40. On, yeah, I like come E40 on, too. Man. I do. Be damn, is acting crazy tonight. It normally pops up. It normally pops up by now. It just pops up, but it ain't popping up tonight. Uh, and once I start telling the story, that's when it's going to pop up. I'm just curious, how many of us are here tonight? Do you know? Um, we on Facebook, we on um YouTube, so we are everywhere tonight. So it's like, you know, I, I really haven't tallied up the numbers until I actually see it at the end of the show. Okay. And then we go from there. Um, let me see if I can get it back up one more time to go from this route. Uh, we're going to download it again. Oh, okay. Thank you. Like, yeah, I don't know what's the numbers tonight until I look at it. But I know you definitely gave insight to, you know, what people need to see. All right, now let's try this one more time. Let's go from here. All right. I don't know if you can see this. It says it's sharing. Can you see it? But you probably can hear it. Welcome back. Can you hear it? I can hear it. You can hear it? Yep. We uh well that's I what we probably want to do tonight oh no it's 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 there we go i told you to come through when i need to come through i can't hear it no I'm it's black screen. yeah it's coming now uh-huh it's coming it's coming because it wants to do what it want to do as always <laughs> it wants to do what it want to do um, I don't want to give a black screen. I actually want to see what I what I've done today. But yeah, there's speech box. Now I just see me. Hello. I'm back. Okay. I'm back. These I be damned so this does it all. But hey, we're just gonna listen to it tonight. We not even I can't find the screen to bring it back up to it so uh we're just gonna have to listen to the video file tonight because the video was acting funky tonight but this is i be damn y'all um this is coming straight out of lost there we go 
There we go. Welcome back to another episode of I Be Damn. I Be Damn. So today we got this young lady calling all the way, coming from the West Coast, Los Angeles to be exact. So she stated, I met a man on OkCupid. Okay Dating app, okay. She said he was 36 years old, a 92% match, ESTP. And what that means in the dating app world is extroverted, observant, thinking, and prospecting their personality traits. So anyway, he was ESTP, drama-free, looking to find someone intelligent, down to earth, and can keep up with his depraved sense of humor. He went on to say that he was at a tech startup company, and on the weekends, he was on the quest to find new and fun activities. He had a gorgeous dog, and he didn't eat kale. Oh, and he was really good at treating you like a princess. We instantly connected, text insanely, and became Snapchat friends. We had plans for Monday, and it couldn't come soon enough. But since I always Googled my dates first, I did a quick search, and I found them. And this is what she said. He was a wig wearing bank robber finally caught. There was all his glory. This uber cute guy had a date with had a date with me in two days. Had alleged robbed a bank less than a year ago. I then found his wedding website declaring he was supposed to be married in October of 2015. But he was arrested the day before. He went to jail until February of 2016, and his return to social media showed he was happy to be back with his dog. When I asked for more details, he admitted that his fiance left him, left him, and he had come clean about robbing the bank. And he was just trying to live a normal life before his trial. When I Snapchatted his own headline to him with WTF on it, his first question was, how did you find my last name? I told him he didn't need to worry about that. His second question to me was, so I guess our date is off. And she said, yes, the fuck it is off. I be damned. See you next week, man. Bank robbers and all type of shit this week. I'll see y'all next week. Wow. I be damned, man. Thank you. Wow. So break that down for me right there. <laughs> would you still would have went? You know, out of curiosity to just like have a face-to-face -face conversation with him to be like, what the fuck? Like really? <laughs> yeah, I would. I would have. I'm, I'm curious like that. Like I, you know, I mean, I'm, you, you know, certain shit, you just, you just take it for a grain of salt. And, you know, some of his, what he's saying, I mean, it's, 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 it's an insane storyline, but it's not that it's not necessarily could be true, could not, but I, I, I'm like in, in person, like what, what the hell Ex explain, I'd be like, explain this to me. <laughs> well, two days before they wanted to date, he was locked up for robbing the bank with a fee, with a whole wife coming. Wow. That's crazy. <laughs> Just, yeah, just out of curiosity, but you know, definitely like the date would, you know, it wouldn't go any further. That would be it. But I would just be like, because I'm like, I'm friendly like that. I'm a people's person. I'm just like, interesting. Explain this shit to me and then, you know, deuces, you know, like that. Okay. okay. Oh, man. I, I got you. He was more worried about how he found his last I name. Know, his instead crime. of his crime. <laughs> Wow. Oh, man. You know, this is the shit that happens when I be damn, man. If you never watched it, definitely go on, you know, the HBCU Lounge Network on YouTube and you can check them out at the end of each show, unless you watch the Halloween show where we did a whole hour of just I be damn. So, um, but thank you for coming through, Miss Willow. Oh, you guys, you're so welcome, Ron. Anytime, I mean, you know, anytime, um, you know, if anyone has any further questions, um, that's what we're at. Where can we reach you at? Yeah. So, uh, well, the website, I work for Family Caregiver Alliance. There's a lot of information for caregivers. Um, that's www.caregiver.org. 
If you have any questions for me pertaining to like memory and cognitive um, impairment types of disorders, I can be reached there at nwheeler at caregiver.org. Send me an email and I, I will get back to you. Um, I work Monday through Thursdays for about 10 hours a day, so off on Fridays. But um, I really enjoyed myself and I hope that I answered everyone's questions. But by all means, you know, let me know if, if I can help in any kind of way. I'll do my oh, best. Oh, you answered all our questions out yeah, there. And we're you know. national. Well, I have to say that we, Family Caregiver Alliance, we are a national organization. So if you guys um, check us out on, on, you know, check out the website. And if you have any caregiving questions, um, we do have two wonderful staff members who will, you know, try to get back to you and answer those questions. Um, you know, we're, we're here to help. So, and um, yeah, do whatever I can to support my community. Love you all. Oh, thank you for coming on. But to the fans out there, next week I got a, a, a good, another a good one coming on. It's about co-parenting next week. I will see you guys about the good, the bad, and the ugly about co-parenting. And definitely, you know, I got to be damned with that one. <laughs> coming for co-parenting. So, Miss Wheeler, thank you for coming on. Hopefully you tune in next week about co-parenting. I absolutely you know. will. You know, definitely you all, this is my house, but you're always welcome. Thank you so much. Thank so you, everyone. Definitely would love to bring you back if we have any more questions. Well, if they hit me up with any more questions, I'll definitely bring you back. Okay. But definitely, I will see you guys next week. Same time, same place, same channel, co-parenting. I'll be damn 9.55 next week. And I know y'all probably was looking like his shirt keeps saying you're killing me. You're killing me, Smalls. <laughs> if you've never seen the Sandlot, that's what my shirt says. You're killing me, Smalls, tonight. Thank you. And thank you, Miss Willa, for coming on. And we appreciate you for letting us know, you know, how to deal with a elderly, disabled, or sickly person. Absolutely. Anytime. Well, thank you, everyone. I'm going to sign off. Good night. I'll see y'all next week, Amsterdam, Amsterdam, well, I forgot what the hell are y'all, you know, I'll see y'all next week. All right, brother, for real, we done next week, 9 p.m.